Hello, this is Father John Arthur or Associate Pastor at Holy Ghost Catholic Church in Knoxville, Tennessee. This is our 19th installment covering man and woman, he created them, a theology of the body. The 133 presentations John Paul II gave in the early years of his pontificate. Genesis points out that man and woman were created for marriage. A man will leave his father and his mother and unite with his wife, and the two will be one flesh. Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. This opens the great creative prospective of human existence, which always renews itself through procreation, that is, self-reproduction. This perspective is rooted in the consciousness of humanity and also in the particular understanding of the spousal meaning of the body with its masculinity and femininity. In the mystery of creation, man and woman are a reciprocal gift. Original innocence manifests and at the same time determines the perfect ethos of the gift. We spoke about this during the last meeting. The ethos of the gift delineates in part the problem of the subjectivity of man who is a subject made in the image and likeness of God. In the creation account, see Genesis chapter 2, verses 23 through 25, the woman is certainly not just an object for the man, although both remain before one another in the whole fullness of their objectivity as creatures, as bone for my bone and flesh for my flesh, as male and female, both of them naked. Only the nakedness that turns the woman into an object for the man, or vice versa, is a source of shame. The fact that they did not feel shame means that the woman was not an object for the man, nor he for her. Inner innocence as purity of heart made it impossible somehow for one to be reduced by the other to the level of a mere object. If they did not feel shame, this means that they were united by the consciousness of the gift, that they had reciprocal awareness of the spousal meaning of their bodies in which the freedom of the gift is expressed and the whole inner richness of the person as subject is shown. This reciprocal interpenetration of the eye of the human persons, of the man and the woman, seems to exclude subjectively any reduction to an object. What is revealed here is the subjective profile of that love, about which one can say, moreover, that it is objective to the very depths inasmuch as it is nourished by the same reciprocal objectivity of the gift. After original sin, man and woman were to lose the grace of original innocence. The discovery of the spousal meaning of the body was to cease being for them a simple reality of revelation and of grace. Yet this meaning was to remain as a task given to man by the ethos of the gift inscribed in the depth of the human heart as a distant echo, as it were, of original innocence. From that spousal meaning, human love was to be formed in its interior truth and authentic subjectivity. And even through the veil of shame, man was continually to discover himself in it as the guardian of the mystery of the subject, that is, of the freedom of the gift.
in order to defend this freedom from any reduction to the position of a mere object. The foundation of the primordial sacrament, the body, as a sign. For the present, however, we find ourselves before the threshold of man's earthly history. The man and the woman have not crossed it yet toward the knowledge of good and evil. They are immersed in the very mystery of creation, and the depth of this mystery hidden in their heart is innocence, grace, love, and justice. And God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was good. Genesis chapter 1, verse 31. Man appears in the visible world as the highest expression of the divine gift, because he bears within himself the inner dimension of the gift, and with it he carries into the world his particular likeness to God, with which he transcends and also rules his visibility in the world. His bodiliness, his masculinity or femininity, his nakedness. A reflection of this likeness is also the primordial awareness of the spousal meaning of the body pervaded by the mystery of original innocence. Thus, in this dimension, a primordial sacrament is constituted, understood as a sign that efficaciously transmits in the visible world the invisible mystery hidden in God from all eternity. And this is the mystery of truth and love, the mystery of divine life, in which man really participates. In the history of man, it is original innocence that begins this participation and is also the source of original happiness. The sacrament as a visible sign is constituted with man inasmuch as he is a body through his visible masculinity and femininity. The body, in fact, and only the body, is capable of making visible what is invisible, the spiritual and the divine. It has been created to transfer into the visible reality of the world the mystery hidden from eternity in God, and thus to be a sign of it. In man created in the image of God the very sacramentality of creation, the sacramentality of the world was thus in some way revealed. In fact, through his bodiliness, his masculinity and femininity, man becomes a visible sign of the economy of truth and love, which has its source in God himself, and was revealed already in the mystery of creation. Against this vast background, we fully understand the words of Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, that are constitutive of the sacrament of marriage for this reason. A man will leave his father and his mother and unite with his wife, and the two will be one flesh. Against this vast background, we also understand that through the whole depth of their anthropological meaning, the words of Genesis chapter 2 verse 25, both were naked, the man and his wife, but they did not feel shame, expresses the fact that together with man, holiness has entered the visible world, the world created for him. The sacrament of the world and the sacrament of man in the world comes forth from the divine source of holiness and is instituted at the same time for holiness. 
original innocence connected with the experience of the spousal meaning of the body is holiness itself, which permits man to express himself deeply with his own body, precisely through the sincere gift of self. Gaudium et Spes 24, number 3. Consciousness of the gift conditions, in this case, the sacrament of the body. In his body as man or woman, man senses himself as a subject of holiness. With this consciousness of the meaning of his own body, man as male and female enters into the world as a subject of truth and love. One can say that Genesis chapter 2 verses 23 through 25 speaks about the first feast of humanity, as it were, in the whole original fullness of the experience of the spousal meaning of the body. And it is a feast of humanity that draws its origin from the divine sources of truth and love in the very mystery of creation. And although over this feast the horizon of sin and death Genesis chapter 3, was very soon to be extended. Nevertheless, we draw a first hope already from the mystery of creation, namely, that the fruit of the divine economy of truth and love, which revealed itself at the beginning, is not death but life, and not so much the destruction of the body of man made in the image of God, but rather the call to glory. Romans chapter 8, verse 30. And with these words, our Holy Father, Pope John Paul II, concludes his 19th catechesis on man and woman. He created them a theology of the body. And we're indebted to Professor Michael Waldstein, whose edition, translation, we're using. So here in chapter 1 still, Christ appealing to the beginning in part 1, the words of Christ, Pope John Paul II is still speaking to us about the mystery of original innocence. In what we heard today, he speaks to us not only about the root of the ethos of the human body, but also the foundation of the primordial sacrament, the body as sign. The root of the ethos of the body means the human body has something to it. It has a certain meaning, the ethos. And when the Pope speaks about the primordial sacrament, it's important that we remember what is a sacrament, a sign instituted by Christ and trusted to the church to give grace. Those are the seven sacraments, baptism, confirmation, Eucharist, penance, anointing, holy marriage, holy orders. But here he speaks about the primordial sacrament, the sacrament before there were sacraments. So marriage is a primordial sacrament. It's from the beginning, but even before a husband and wife were able to give each other, they had to exist. And so today he's focusing our attention, John Paul II is, on this primordial sacrament, that visible thing established by God, which is the body. The body is a sign because it's visible. What good is a sign if it's invisible, if you can't see it? And the body is a sign points to its origin and points towards its end. God is the origin and the end of the human person who is an embodied spirit. Pope John Paul II speaks to us in this 19th catechesis, this 19th installment of the theology of the body, man and woman, he created them, about man and woman being created for marriage. 
holy marriage, raised to the dignity of a sacrament by Christ the Lord at Cana, is a sacrament between one man and one woman. And this has been so, and will be so, even until the consummation of the ages, from the beginning to the end of history. This is the reality, even if there are naysayers in our day. The Pope speaks to us not only about man and woman being created for marriage, but he speaks to us also about Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, specifically as the constitutive passage of Scripture for the sacrament of marriage. For this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother and cling to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Scripture scholars are anxious that we not proof text, as it were, but this text is all about holy marriage. Not only in Genesis, but then off the lips of the Lord in the Gospels. It's in the beginning, and it's in the heart of the Scripture. We're reminded of the spousal meaning of the body. Repeatedly, 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 Pope John Paul II speaks to us of the spousal meaning of the body, this primordial sacrament, which has its own ethos. It has its own meaning and import because it has been given to us by God, who is giving, who is generous. Christ the Lord reminds us of the generosity of God by appealing back to the beginning. In the beginning it was not so. It was because of the hardness of your hearts. So this theology of the body really is about our human existence. What does it mean to be a human being? What does it mean to be made in the image and likeness of God? What does it mean to be an embodied spirit? Not only does Pope John Paul II speak to us about the body as a primordial sacrament, but he speaks to us about the sacrament of the world. The world is visible. Here are the mountains. Here are the rivers. Here are the trees. These are things in the world. With our space shuttles or moonshots, we even get a different perspective on the world as a visible reality, which points to its origin and points to its end. God has made the heavens and the earth and all that is therein as a manifestation of his glory, of his goodness, of his power, even of his mercy. The world is a sacrament, a visible sign, founded by God, founded by Christ, one with the Father and the Spirit, to give grace, because we receive grace through material things. We're not Gnostics. Matter is not evil. It's part of the good creation. Not only does Pope John Paul II speak to us about the sacrament of the world, or the primordial sacrament, the body, as sign, he also speaks to us about the sacrament of man in the world. He doesn't put the hyphens between those words, but you could. Man in the world, a sacrament, because not only is the world visible, but the human person, the human being is. And in Christ, author of the seven sacraments, all the more so. And he's risen and glorified now. He sits at the Father's right hand, and we look for his returning glory at the end of time to judge the living and the dead. All these passages of Pope John Paul II's Theology of the Body, Man and Woman, He Created Them, remind us of the mystery of creation. So often we only think of the biology, so much water, so much salt, so tall, so many pounds. Creation is a mystery. And this is captured even in our greatest literature, to be or not to be. That is the question. The word be referring to existence, being. We exist, we have our being, because God has created us. 
freely. No one forced God to make us. No one forces God to give us life or to redeem us. Freely given gift. And so the good God in whose image we're made calls us to likewise be generous in sharing the gift of existence, the gift of life. So we read elsewhere in Genesis, be fertile and multiply. This is part of the ethos of the gift. John Paul II is anxious that we understand these things, that we apply our intelligence, our natural ability to know, our understanding. Things have meaning. Our existence has meaning. Our body has meaning. The heavens and the earth have meaning. They remind us of God, the origin of meaning. He who is the way, the truth, and the life, Christ Jesus, revealing to us not only God, but us to ourselves. These are things of which we are conscious. These things heighten our consciousness once they're brought to our attention. This spousal meaning of the body, this sacramental nature of the body is the primordial sacrament, is reciprocal. There's reciprocity here. It's not just the husband who's a sacrament for the wife, but the wife who's a sacrament for her husband. Visible sign of God's invisible grace, promise of blessing. When a disorder arises, when one or the other or both objectify, you're just here for my pleasure, to appeal to my eyes, to my touch. Then shame enters the picture. But it was not so in the beginning. In the beginning, they were naked without shame because they had not objectified each other in the pejorative. Sure, they were still objectively creatures, objectively bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, but not objectified as in possession. There is the difference. Here it's interesting to remember that some have been displeased with Pope John Paul II and Fides Orazio because he didn't address objectivity, objectiveness, until the end of that encyclical. Perhaps it was because he knew he had addressed objectivity in his theology of the body here, as well as elsewhere in his writings. Pope John Paul II focuses our attention, likewise, on authentic subjectivity, which is to raise the question, there is an inauthentic subjectivity. You are a subject, you're an individual, and I am likewise. Our first parents, subject. Authentic subjectivity. We're true to ourselves. We're true to our being. This is who we are, and we know whose we are. We belong to God who made us, who has redeemed us in the blood of Jesus. So we can see through all these studies that there's a great richness, an inner richness of the person as a subject, not just an object, not just so much matter in this certain city at this certain period of history, but as a person, as an unrepeatable being, so rich. The Pope reminds us of original happiness and original innocence. This is all before the fall. It was the fall which gave rise to that disordered objectification, one and the other. When we have this authentic subjectivity by God's grace, it's because we're in sync with the divine source of truth and love in whose image we're made to know ourselves truly and to love ourselves truly as God would have us do. God who is love. The Pope has spoken to us about the mystery of creation, but he also speaks to us about the mystery of truth and love. There are truths we know. Two plus two equals four. 
Paris as the capital of France. George Washington was the first president of the United States of America. There are truths that we can know naturally, and there are supernatural truths. Jesus is Lord. God is a trinity of persons, Father, Son, and Spirit, one God, three persons. These are mysteries of truths of faith, knowable by revelation, knowable by grace. But just because we know the truths does not mean they're not mysterious. And even the natural truths, how is it that we accept to know? I've never been to Juneau, Alaska, but I have it on good authority. It is the capital. Or is it? Wasilla? I've been to Nashville. I don't know that I've been to Tallahassee. I've never been to the moon, but I've seen a bright orb in the sky. It's not entirely supernatural faith to take it from our teachers, from those who have studied these things before us. What is that bright disk in the sky at night? The natural sort of faith, not the supernatural sort. The mystery of how we know things, and the mystery of love. The mystery of love is highlighted in Evita, in the movie with Madonna about Mrs. Perón from Argentina. She had never used her sexuality in accordance with nature. She used it only as a tool for self-advancement. And when she could no longer be an advantage to Juan Perón, it was then that she recognized the mystery of love. And that was the song which got the great award for Andrew Lloyd Webber. You must love me. Why are you still here? You must love me. The mystery of love was revealed to her. It's revealed to us all by the death and resurrection of Christ. Not only are we exposed here to the mystery of creation or the mystery of truth and the mystery of love, but also the mystery of divine life. Because God is the author, the origin of life, and we're alive, and we're said to be made in the image of God, there's some degree of mystery there, wouldn't you think? The mystery of divine life in us, the mystery of divine life in God himself, the eternal life of the eternal God, in which we participate by grace, by faith, by baptism, the indwelling of God in us by grace, having renounced my sins, having renounced Satan and all his prompts, having professed my faith in God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, having been baptized, washed, and saved, divine life in me, having received the bread from heaven, the Holy Eucharist, divine life in me, following the divine law, the promptings of God's holy will, divine life in me. This is mysterious and beautiful. When Pope John Paul II speaks further about these things, he reminds us that man and woman, each of us, each human being, is both an object of truth and love and a subject of truth and love. I am who I am. You are who you are. This is the objective truth. And truly, objectively, we are lovable made in the image of God, even in spite of ourselves. But no less true is that each man, each woman, each human being, each human person are a subject of truth and a subject of love. How rich for our contemplation, how rich for our, our thought. Pope John Paul II calling us to great heights, great heights to which he had been called, great heights which he surmounted by his efforts with the help of God's grace.
So it's good for us to remember where we've been and how we've gotten this far. Christ appeals to the beginning. He reminds us in his conversation with his contemporaries, and he is now contemporary to us, or we to him, since Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Remember the beginning. It was not that way in the beginning. It was because of the hardness of your hearts that Moses permitted a decree, a bill of divorce. The Pope has reminded us of the beginning, of the creation of man and woman in the image of God. The Pope has reminded us of original solitude, how the human being is unlike any other creature on the earth, how Adam recognizes in Eve bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh, another self. And here we see the original unity, the unity of the two, that communion of persons, human persons, echoing, mirroring that eternal communion of persons, which is the Holy Trinity, who is God. Pope John Paul II reminds us about original nakedness, how in the beginning they were naked without shame. Shame enters the world through sin. But Christ has come, Christ has died and risen to save us from our sins, to save us from eternal shame, eternal damnation. He calls us to worship him in spirit and in truth, to glorify God in our bodies. And this is John Paul II's theology of the body. In this part of chapter 1, which we've been focusing on, is the fifth part, man in the dimension of the gift. In this we see that our very existence is a gift from God who is generous, God in whose image we are made, God who calls us to generosity in holy marriage, which is so much a part of the theology of the body. We see the gift of self, husband to the wife, wife to the husband, and each of them to their children. So the generosity, the dimension of gift in our very being, in our living, so much a part of this. And we see free will. No one forced God to make us. No one forces Adam to love Eve. No one forces Eve to love Adam. And when they abused their freedom, their free will, sin entered the world, and with sin, shame. This sin was seen as an objectification, one of the other, taking our eyes off the prize, off Christ Jesus. This is when we lost our original innocence. Now we long for restored innocence, innocence restored by the death and resurrection of Christ, by the blood of Jesus in which we're washed and saved. Christ, who is the bridegroom of his bride, Mother Church. Marriage reflecting that relationship between Christ and his bride, even as of old the relationship between God and Israel was spousal. In our next program, we'll begin the sixth part of chapter one of part one of Man and Woman. He created them a theology of the body, looking at knowledge and procreation. It's good for us to remember that these conferences on the theology of the body of Pope John Paul II are theological. They're focusing on the sacred scriptures. They're focusing on creation. They're focusing on the human being as made in the image and likeness of God. But they're also philosophical insofar as the Holy Father is using his natural ability to understand to look at the sacred scriptures which exist. There is a book. You can buy it at the Barnes and Noble. You can read it on the World Wide Web. 
It's proclaimed in churches on Sundays. Can we have any understanding of the sacred text? There are people in the world who believe the sacred text. That's a reality. That's a phenomenological fact. What do they mean when they say they believe this? What is it that they say they believe? These are things which the Pope is doing in his 133 conferences on the theology of the body. And so, together with him, we're walking the same journey. Even though he has come to its conclusion, or better, that life which never ends. So for our part, we should do what we can to understand these things, to follow in this great project of the mystery of life. Until next time, God bless you.